Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. A new wave of cannabis regulations takes hold in the days ahead, one year after the legalization of recreational cannabis in this country. We've been following the business very carefully at BIV and holding several public events to discuss the successes and the challenges as the sector emerges in large measure in this country. Earlier this month, We talked to four experts in a panel discussion on Cannabis 2.0, the first year of legalization and the important tasks ahead as edibles and other products arrive. Our discussion featured Peter Guo, the BC leader for MNP's Cannabis Industry Services and Enterprise Risk Services, Brandon Wright, the CEO of Dynaleo, which is going to be Canada's largest manufacturer of cannabis gummies, Chantelle Popoff, she's the COO of Valens Growworks Corporation, and James Monroe, co-chair of the Cannabis Practice Group at Macmillan LLP. This is the first part of our discussion. Yeah, the, uh, the, the science around research is a big one. Um, I think it's one thing that we're doing right and one thing that we're also still doing wrong. Uh, at this point, it's still easier to study the Ebola virus at universities than it is to study cannabis. And if uh, I, I know I can personally name about five or six different cannabinoids. I know uh, you, people in this room can probably name one or two, THC and CBD. The plant has over 100. It's, uh, this is a completely unknown field, and we don't even know how much we don't know. So that's one of the things I think we need to start doing a little better on. Nice. Chantel? I think the biggest thing for me, you know, again, to, to support both of these points, is just that it started conversation. And... To me, that took cannabis, which, which really is nature's medicine. It's been ma- nature's medicine for years, and it's brought it into the limelight as a conversation in each and every household. And that's been big not only for legalization to help the regulators. Um, I think it's been big to help local governments, provincial governments, federal government, obviously, to figure out where they need to go to support this economy. And I think the industry as a whole has benefit, benefited from this as well, simply because there's, there's professionals, there's people coming out of the CPG world, leaving 40 plus year careers to get into cannabis and because of that the companies that are in this industry the regulators that are helping to keep us on board and on the right side of the gate um, everything is moving at a much faster pace than I think it would have otherwise have and has pardon me and I think that's putting Canada even further ahead on the map in terms of legalizing as a federal country mm. so you're generally an optimist around this yeah okay. you got it Great. I think even speaking to that we just had a conversation a second ago about how come everyone we see in this industry looks like they're under 35 it's because we were the ones who are willing to take the risk early on and now as we're seeing the industry develop and get steadier and steadier the experience is coming in and these things are accelerating for sure yeah i think that was a very nice compliment of peter that he looks under 35 no i think they were talking they're talking about the middle three uh kirk you and i are yeah we should just step off the stage i wasn't i wasn't looking for my own kind of credit on this one but i was willing to flip it to you um james what do you say i'm not 35 so you know when we take a look at the industry it's important to recognize what health canada's uh plan was with the industry when they were rolling out. And really, they were focused on three things. They wanted to protect kids. They wanted to uh, reduce the black market. And they wanted a safe supply. And it's easy to be a naysayer in any industry and say, you know, I thought the industry was going to be X. Mm-hmm. Well, there was no comparable for Canada to look at. The only other comparable out there was Uruguay. Uruguay, yeah. So this is an industry that Canada made. It's an industry that Canada should be very proud of. But on those three factors, uh, protecting kids, I think Canada has been very reasonable, and, and uh, I would give them, on a, on a grade, an A on that. They've been excellent on it. Uh, eliminating the black market isn't something that was in the cards in Cannabis 1.0. 
it's something that's going to be looked at at Cannabis 2.0 and Cannabis 3.0 as we roll out other, uh, other ingredients and other types of cannabis. So that's the point that, no, the black market's not going to be eliminated the first time. This is the Canadian approach. We're going to start slow and steady and build from there. Well, we'll say sorry to the black market as we cut it out. Is We might even say sorry to the black market that we're moving on to something else. And then the third pillar that, they were, that Health Canada was focused on was we want to have safe products. And on that, that level as well, um, we'll have a discussion about vaping uh, a little bit later in the conversation. But a safe product has absolutely been rolled out. Um, the sky hasn't falled. Uh, the industry is chugging along and will continue to, uh, to build on the successes it's had in its past. All right, fair enough. Uh, but as you know, in journalism, we don't cover plane landings. Uh, we only cover uh, whatever. Uh, and I want to get a, a bit of a look from you about if you had to look at one area that needs to be fixed before we get into Cannabis 2.0, Brandon, why don't you start with what you think it would be? Uh, it needs to be distribution from the provinces to the retail segments and licensing of distribution channels. Right now, the industry is what I would akin to calling a, a snake swallowing a golf ball. Uh, there is a ton of old product in the pipeline. There's a ton of new product in the pipeline. The provinces have done everything from overbuying it to underbuying it. Uh, but the, one of the biggest issues is that there's nowhere to sell it and there is huge demand. I don't know any other industry in the world where the demand is this high and we cannot get the product to the people because the regulatory burdens between the, uh, the municipalities, the provinces, and the, and the federal government, is that there's such a strong disconnect there. Uh, one really prominent example I can give you is um, I was a minor shareholder in dispensaries that were coming up and uh, the requirements that we had to go through or that they had to go through and me as a very, very, very small percentage stakeholder, um, I had to go through a deeper background check than my friend who applied for CSIS, the Canadian Spy Agency, huh. which is ridiculous considering I've also applied for a federal license to do the same thing and Health Canada has accepted it. So if, if this dispensary had 50 or 60 shareholders all doing this and all the dispensaries across BC did at the same time, it's no wonder we have fewer dispensaries per capita than anyone in, in Canada. So a CSIS agent might not be able to be I'd in the I'd be business. surprised if they could. Yeah, okay. Chantel? I think the biggest thing uh, that I see that we need improvement on is consistency. Um, twofold, consistency in quality of product that's actually on the shelves, and I think that goes hand in hand with even just consistency of supply. Um, we're in a very unique situation in the industry. We're a processor, so we actually do extraction processing for licensed um, producers right across the country. So we see it all. We deal with all of the large LPs in Canada. And one lot to the next to the next, it, it varies so much in smell, in taste, in, in size. It's, it's crazy to see the inconsistencies because I don't think anyone realized how difficult it is to grow cannabis on a large scale. So that, I think, will increase. Is it inconsistency um, or variety? It, both. Yeah. Both, yeah. It's definitely both. There are some LPs that are doing a fantastic job, but there's still inconsistency within a single LP itself. Um, and the second thing is consistency with regulation. I, I certainly can't imagine being Health Canada and trying to, you know, bite off what they had to chew in terms of, you know, coming up with regulation to cover anything and everything. Um, but we, there's so much inconsistency even between the auditors that come to see us um, versus, you know, the actual licensing division out in Ottawa. And it's certainly no fault of theirs. It's, it's simply, again, something they couldn't have, you know, foreseen what was going to happen in the question that would arise but we're finding because we're a processor and there's not a lot of processors out there we've essentially we follow the regulation to the best of our ability and the rest is interpretation and we work with both Ottawa as well as our local auditors to figure out what the regulation might be so we can be compliant before it even happens.
questions. So I think Health Canada is doing a good job in reaching out and, and getting our feedback as, as processors and as cultivators, but I think there's still a lot of work to do there to close that gap. Okay, James. Well, it's the dispensaries. I mean, it's been said a couple of times before, and I love this quote, that you know, you're probably closer to Ikea than you are to a dispensary. There's just not enough of them right now. So the dispensaries will be rolled out. They will you know, be there in significant numbers. But that was really part and parcel of... You don't health. have to drive to Kamloops anymore? So they, <laughs> you don't have to drive to Kamloops anymore. I mean, that was part of Health Canada's rollout. They, they knew there wasn't going to be a, a you know, critical mass of dispensaries. That is for Cannabis 2.0. These things are happening. It is a slow burn. They will happen. Uh, but that is, you know, if they, if they really want to eliminate the black market and, and, uh, and, and have the legal market thrive, you need stores. Uh, the stores need to be built. Peter, what needs to be fixed before we move on to 2.0? Well, I actually look at it from a more strategic point of view. And, you know, I, some of you at conferences have heard me say this. We, we're being very quintessentially Canadian about it. And we should celebrate that. I mean, Uruguay is great. They got better soccer players than us. But other than that, right? And I think on uh, the legalization... We whipped them at hockey. It's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm, anyways. Um, so... Where I look at this strategically is we're being polite, we're being slow, we're being very methodical, which is wonderful. But the reality of entrepreneurship, the reality of a consumer packaged good industry, the reality of the big, uh, not only the Canadian market, but the, frankly the global market and the U.S., is that you need consumer demand to drive iteration and the deployment of capital. So you've heard Brandon talk about you know, how it's all gummed up, regs are keeping dispensaries. Well, sorry let's change the, the, the nomenclature, retailers from opening. But I actually have a bigger issue, and I, it's, it's about competitiveness. I believe our slow and steady approach allows our industry to launch and will allow edibles to take footing. But I worry that we lose that footing because in the race to be competitive, to have product formats like what Brandon's doing, to be able for Chantel to understand from a demand perspective what kind of extracts her company's got to put on the marketplace and the pricing or where she sources biomass, that's not being allowed to happen. Whereas if you're in California or Oregon or Washington, you can figure that demand out pretty darn quick. One of our clients is one of the biggest retail outlets. Go to Vegas, go to Planet 13. It's a massive retailer. You walk in there, they'll tell you exactly what sold, not only today, but in the last hour. Right? You know, like they're able to move to a Walmart like vendor managed inventory, which has huge pull through that supply chain. And if we can't get to that, it doesn't matter, aw shucks, how Canadian polite we are, we're going to get our butts kicked. Okay? Maybe not in Canada as a very closed 35 million person market, but on the global stage, those Canadians are so polite, they showed us how to do it, but where are they now? That, to me, is the thing that has to get fixed. Brandon. Yeah, so just I wanted to kind of remind everyone in this audience that uh, to date, no cannabis company can still make health claims about any of the products that they're making, which are obviously can, and have health benefits, which I don't blame Health Canada for at this point because uh, we do not have really good data on long-term studies of cannabis use or the methods used. And Health Canada today, if, if alcohol was a product that just got invented today, Health Canada would probably roll it out at exactly the same slow pace without knowing the long-term benefits. So without, as long as we can start opening up that research for long-term benefit use, that's what's really going to help drive a lot of that forward as well. So what I hear from all four of you is Canada may have moved too fast, but it's not moving fast enough. What, what is it? 
I would say it's exactly that. I think um, one of the big areas where we can improve as a, as a country and as a regulatory body is to educate. I know right now, I, I totally understand that when you give an inch, people will take a mile, and that's why they've really kind of put a kibosh on marketing of, of cannabis, but we still need to educate the consumer. And I think that's going to be a big part of not only Cannabis 2.0, but obviously Cannabis 3.0 as well, is what are we telling the market? Do people know the benefits, the health benefits of cannabis, and what the side effects are or the lack thereof versus other drugs or other therapies that are out on the market? market. So I think we, we need to make a clear divide between those two things. And although I know it's not black and white and there will be a gray area, I think the, just the country in general, people, society can benefit from education. And in doing that, the demand is going to increase, supply is going to increase, the retailers are going to increase their sales. We will find out essentially what the market demands are. But until that happens, people go in, they can't even ask for help in a store. And that's an issue. So the black market will be eliminated when people see better value in going into a legal market store. At this point, it's just not there. Is, does value necessarily, though, just mean price? Not even close. Price is what you pay. Value is what you get. Good. Okay. Um, then let's, this is a good segue then to, for us to start taking a look at next phases here. And what largely what we, first of all, what we can expect. And what essentially we have to clear the path for in this next phase as we get in there. I don't know, James, maybe you can start on what you're sort of contemplating here in the next phase in terms of uh, what we're, what we're going to get, what we need. Yeah. So, in, you know, in the next phase, uh, Cannabis 2.0, we're, we're talking about a broader amount of products being offered to the market. So essentially where we started was with training wheels. We started with talking about grams, just pure cannabis, uh, smoking it, uh, and now we're moving to something a lot broader. The point is, because there's a whole bunch more products going to be available, topicals, edibles, drinks, all of those things that go along uh, with, with, with edibles, is that really is an entry into the black market. The black market thrives because they're offering uh, options that aren't offered in the private and the, and the legal market. And as soon as the, the, uh, the legal market actually has those types of varieties that they can offer, uh, that is the competitive advantage in my view. Brandon, what can we and maybe can't we expect in the early going on the edibles market? Well, you're certainly not going to see any gummy bears. I can put that, put that out for sure. Um, the, you're going to see a lot of, um, first of all, the, oh, there's a lot of regulation around packaging and what can and cannot be displayed. If you've ever been into a country where uh, cigarettes are, are look like in their, the same box as every single way across and one little brand on the top, it's basically what you're going to see for edibles rules. You're going to see pretty standard generic packaging uh, in different shapes and forms, but the different branding and differentiation is quite limited. As well, their companies are being uh, required to produce their products in such a way that they are as, um, as unappealing, to, not, not necessarily as unappealing to children as possible, but so that they're not directly marketed to it. So for example, we're not expecting to put any products on the market that have flavors like bubblegum yummy bursty berry, but, for but something like a raspberry or Okanagan peach is, is applicable to all flavor palettes. So you'll see things like that. So how's the consumer supposed to know, Chantel? I think, again, the, the, it's going to come down to education. The big thing is going to be knowing what they're looking for before they get onto shelf. 
And I think a big part is also going to be, you know, understanding and, and having a knowledge of the expectation um, of what you're getting when you actually try an edible or when you eat, you know, a, whether it's a gummy peach or a gummy square for the first time. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of onus on the actual producers and the processors themselves to ensure that they have the right dosage in those products as well. Um, as many of you, if you've ever tried edibles, it's, it's a very negative experience for a lot of people. And the reason being is because there is no set onset and offset with, with any of the edibles that are made in the black market. And it's no fault of, of those producers. It's simply because they didn't understand essentially how the metabolic system works with cannabis oil and how cannabis oil breaks down. So I think with 2.0, I think there's going to be an onus on LPs to use emulsion technology, you know, use different, use different dispersion techniques to make sure that you have essentially a very, you know, replicatable experience on edibles and also something that's predictable. So if you have a half an hour onset and a half an hour offset, it's going to be very similar to alcohol right, or similar experience to alcohol for most users, which A, I think will get a lot of people, you know, trying it for the first time because they won't be scared. And two, it's going to be something that's predictable. So they're going to be able to use it again without having you know any negative nuances from that first experience yeah when someone says how much do i take uh the answer they say or they say i don't know how much to take we say you're right you don't but you didn't know how much to take when you're trying a glass of wine for the first time with your with your family at dinner so you start low and you go slow and you try a little bit and you see how it works and you try a little bit more and I, they've set limits on the, what kind of products are going to be available. So, and are we, uh, do we have limits uh, talking about this later? Or should, is no, it go ahead. No, no, I think it's a good idea because I think actually this is one of the central issues. And, and you know, as a, as a journalist with friends of friends of friends who have tried edibles, um, we, uh, <laughs> I, I can tell you that uh, their friends who are their friends who are their friends uh, suggest that one of the critical issues is, is that you feel like you are a kid again uh, having your first couple of beers. What's going to happen to me? What is going to happen to me? And the answer is it's, it's different for every consumer to a certain extent. Yeah, you have to know what your own tolerance is. You have to know what your own experience is. And you have to know what the circumstances under which you're trying them are. Well, one of the things that Health Canada has done, and I think they've actually done this really well, is to set a THC limit on a per unit basis. While I think that that THC limit shouldn't be on a per package basis at the same time because it creates a tremendous amount of excess packaging and difficulties. I, I still think that it's a responsible dosage. One of the big things about the black market is that um, it, uh, most of the products straight across the board were inconsistently dosed or untested or un inaccurately labeled. So people are going around eating what they think are 50 milligram, 100 milligram edibles that could only have as much as 15 or 20. And when they actually do have a 50 milligram edible, holy crap, are they on the moon? So one of the things that we're doing well and, and one of the things that I think that the general population will, will start to understand is that um, 5 or 10 milligrams is actually quite a good starting place for most adults. It is going to get you a little bit high. And from there, you can see how you want to adjust your, 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 um, your consumption methods. I also think that it's definitely not going to be the place where uh, the heavy users and heavy consumers are going to be trying these products. And at, for that reason, most of the, have the heavy users and are, who are taking and need the 100 milligram or 200 milligram products are going to be looking more to the medical side of things. Yeah. And in, again, asking for friends, uh, the, uh, the issue also comes down to the fact that there's still a lot of, a lot of people who just don't want the smoke experience, right? So this, this offers the opportunity for a whole other market to come in. What I'm wondering from you, Peter, is does this make the business more viable? It does. And I, actually, I think that's a better question for Brandon because uh, I know in his company, he's actually done some research on what product formats are probably the most likely to be successful as, uh, as 2.0 launches in a couple of weeks. Okay, go ahead. 
Yeah, I'd like to sell as well on this one. Uh, vapes are going to do really well, I think. But um, in the edibles world, you're going to see anything that can be mass-produced well. Um, one of the things about the regulations is the way that they've limited the ability for very, very small uh, entrepreneurs to get into the game. Um, if you're not somebody with 500 grand or a million bucks, you're not starting a company in this industry straight up. There are no farm stands. There will be no baked goods that are uh, fresh or handmade. It has to be something that you, have, you can make at scale and, make, uh, and still do it within the regulation and, and the burden of, of, the, of getting a license and so forth. So the first products you're going to see on the market are going to be stuff that's shelf-stable. It's going to be chocolates. It's going to be drinks. It's going to be gummies. And uh, it's not going to see the same kind of experimentation like popcorn and cotton candy that we used to see in the black market for sure. And Chantel, talk a bit about the quality issue. I think, you know, it's, it's great to see that 2.0 is here and that it's coming because I think that's what's missing in the edible space is the quality side of things. We also were lucky enough to have a third-party um, Health Canada accredited lab within our facility, and I can tell you that the inconsistency that's on the market is, is just absolutely crazy. Um, so it's nice to see that, you know, that's starting to happen. And, and I think, you know, just testing food in general is, is oftentimes difficult in the lab, as, as, you know, you guys would know. Um, but not only testing food, when you try to test cannabis dosage in food, that's also very, you know, it's, it's very interesting and, and it's very challenging. So I know Health Canada right now is, is working on that and working on validated methods to help all of the accredited labs um, in terms of getting those, those testing methodologies nailed down and getting you know, methods validated that will work. Um, so that's going to help in terms of making sure that the quality of the dosage is there. And then in addition to that, that's one thing I think Health Canada has really hit the nail on the head on is that they're focusing on GPP. They're focusing on making sure that people are manufacturing under good production practices. Not only that, they're really giving a, a hats off and a, you know, a pat on the back to those companies that are looking for EU GMP certification or GACP, which is good agricultural practices. Those types of companies are really starting to come to the forefront and I think will continue to do so because they've chosen to put consumer safety first. You're dealing in a lot of cases with the international market as well, with international companies in this space. And I wonder, do you believe that this arrival of 2.0 is another opportunity for Canada to get a little bit ahead of the pack? I do. I absolutely do. I think, you know, Canada has always been seen as, as a, a trusted producer, um, albeit whether it's cannabis or any other industry or any other commodity that we're providing to global markets. Um, and I think Health Canada's, you know, their, their way of approaching um, all of the testing and their way of approaching the regulation, I think it's helped us. It's helped us to build ourselves up in terms of, you know, what our reputation is out there. And, you know, there's countries now that you know, six months ago they demanded that you were EU GMP certified in order to export to them. Now, if you have GACP certification or if you're working on your EU GMP certification, they're willing to open the doors to you and talk to you. And not only that, there's, there's industries within other countries that are actually gathering together, gathering their governmental resources to import products from Canada into their countries to speed up the process. So I think, you know, that just is a, a hats off to us that we've done a good job from a regulatory standpoint. Yeah, I, I want to kind of add to that. We, we have to remember that the, we're the first ones to do this recreationally. But in the world, it's going to follow the same pattern. It's going to follow medical, and then it's going to go recreational. So the first products that we're going to export are going to be medical. And there we stand on, on the top, because we've done this, such a good job of regulating everything so tightly that our products can 100% be trusted coming out of Canada. When it comes to recreational, however, if, if and when that ball starts rolling across the planet, we better get off our butts, otherwise the U.S. is going to kick us. Join us for part two of our discussion next Wednesday on BIV Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening.